Welcome. We're so glad that you're with us on this fifth Sunday of Easter. Happy Mother's Day. Um, and we hope that you're gathered with your mom um, as long as that's allowed. Uh, and that if you're not gathered with your mom, that you're thinking about her. And most of all, that you're thinking about Christ, that we are looking forward to, uh, to coming together and worshiping today. So would you stand with us, sit up in your couch, and, and worship with us this morning. Psalm 66, 1 through 11. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give, give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome, awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships your, you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They did, re they did re rejoice with him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have, tr you have tried us as silver and tie. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You're the king of these people, you're the lord of this nation, you are, you're the light in this darkness, you're the hope to the hopeless, you're the peace to the restless, you are.
17, 1 through 15. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where they, when there was a Jewish synagogue, as was in custom, Paul went to the synagogue on the three on three Sabbath days. He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded entering Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few permanent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house and searched of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world now have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They were all defying Caesar's decrees, saying they, there was another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the other postponed and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And arriving, on arriving there, there were there went to a Jewish synagogue. Now the Brian Jews were more noble characters than those in, the, in Thessalonica, for they received a message with great eagerness and, ex, and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and, and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at at Berea, some of them went there too, egg-tining egg the crowd and stirring them up. They believe the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who exhorted Paul brought him and brought him to Athens and left them with instructors, Vasilius and Timothy, to join him as soon as possible. First Peter two, one through ten. So put all away all mom 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 so put away all malice and go deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tested that the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourself like living stone and being built up as spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am lying in Zion, a stone of cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the horrors is that you who believe, 
but is for those who do not believe the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were denied to do. But you are a chosen race of loyal priesthood, a holy nation of people who in his home, own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of the darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not the people, but you know that you're God, but you know, are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.
Again, it is so good to have you worshiping with us um, for lots of reasons. I think it's, it's encouraging. Um, it's encouraging to know that what we're doing here is, is penetrating some of the, some of the space, um, kind of the, the noise that's out there. Um, but it's also, it's also just encouraging to know and be aware um, that, that we're together in this, uh, that there is a group of people who are going through the same thing that we are, and to know that when we feel isolated, that there's a, there's a mutual sense of how wrong this is, um, and a looking forward to the day when, when it's over. So, would you, um, would you turn your attention to the Lord with me um, as we come together in prayer today? Father in heaven, um, we, are, we remain grateful um, for the chance to gather together in, in one way or another. And we want to lift our hearts to you, Lord God, knowing that um, we wish we were doing it in person. And we do, we lift up those that we know are in need of prayer today. Whether that's those in positions of authority who are making decisions for our county, for our city, uh, for, for our country, Lord, we pray that they would be making decisions um, out, of, out of an abundance of wisdom. Um, we know that you have somehow put those in authority who have authority, Lord, and, and we, trust that, um, we trust that as we, um, as we put our, our lives, some of us put our livelihoods in their hands, um, that you would, continue to, you would continue to be the true Lord, the true King among us who holds all these things in your hand, Lord God. Father, we pray um, for, for those who may be suffering because of the current situation. We think of those who may have lost jobs, all those millions who have filed um, as unemployed, Lord God, those who may have lost income in other ways. And, and we pray, Father, that you would continue to do what you promised you will do throughout your word, that you would provide for the poor, that you would provide for those who are in need. We pray, Lord, that as, um, that as your people, we would recognize our responsibility to those who are in need, that your church would not fail to reach out, um, to care for, to lift up uh, those who are hungry, those who are hurting, those who are needy, knowing, Father, that, um, that without your grace and without your love, all of us are in that situation, that unless you build the house that the builder labors in vain. And so, Lord God, would we take what we're able to do? Would you take our effort? Would you take our skill? Would you take uh, the gifts that we've been given and show us, Lord, how we might turn them over uh, to you um, and to, to those that you love and care for? Father, we pray for those who are reaching out to their neighbors. We pray for um, safety and protection, Lord. We also pray for a boldness to be able to connect with one another in a new and a fresh way that we would not see like so many have the opportunity to do, Lord, to see the worst in those around us, but rather we would see people who you love, who you've created, uh, who you have given yourself for. And as we see people in that situation, Lord, that we would be able to reach out to care for, to lift up uh, those who are, who are needy, those who are hurting, those who are lonely, Lord, that we might be able to alleviate some of that suffering. God, thank you for calling us into this vocation. Thank you for putting us in the world at such a time as this, that we can minister the truth and the grace, the mercy of your gospel. 
Lord, we ask uh, for your continued help and blessing as we continue in worship today. Lord, we want to lift up Beth, um, who Mindy has prayed for on the Facebook page, and we thank you, Lord, for this news from the doctors that she's cancer-free. We want to ask that she would just continue to um, place herself in your hands, that she would continue to thank you and praise you, that we would all thank you for the health that's in her body. Lord, we pray for um, those who, who we know who may have some tricky um, health situations, uh, that you would be at work in their bodies bringing health, bringing wholeness, bringing life. We know that you are indeed the life giver, Lord. Will we all turn to you uh, for, that, for that knowledge, for that truth? God, our hearts hurt. Um, they hurt to be back with one another. They hurt to be made whole, Lord, and yet we thank you and we praise you that we have all that we need in you. Help us to understand how that works in our day and, and, and not only to understand it for ourselves, but to extend that truth to others who are close to us. Lord, thank you for our friends. Thank you for those that you've placed in our path who care for us, pray for us, lift us up. We pray, Lord God, that as Cordova Church of the Nazarene goes forward, that you would give us a strong sense of who we are to be, who the church needs to be in this moment. We would be the calling the world um, around us into your life, into your help, into your hope and your peace. That it would overflow from our hearts because we know that you've given us those things ourselves. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the counts of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The word of the Lord. Well, we have been um, talking quite a lot around here, or at least maybe I've just been thinking about the virtues. Um, and we talked about it in our annual meeting. We've talked about it as we've, as we've put together kind of this vision um, for what kind of church we're going to be. 
But what are virtues? Virtues are these traits, they're these characteristics that reveal um, and demonstrate moral principle. They, that's one way of, of kind of thinking about them or defining them. Uh, but they are these, these gifts. And so um, we can talk about faith. We can talk about hope and love. Those all come from the end of 1 Corinthians 13. And um, they are these kind of theological virtues, these virtues that go vertically towards God, right? Our faith, our hope, our love all go in that direction. But beyond that, we also have these virtues that kind of go horizontally, that head outward toward our fellow human, courage, justice, wisdom, temperance, or patience. And so those are the kind of seven, and I'm sure there's a gajillion virtues out there that you could go find, but those are the seven that we want to kind of work with because I think they really tend to encompass all of what it is to follow Christ well. There are things, these, these virtues are things that you can practice, right? You can actually work on them. You can work on becoming more faithful. You can work on becoming more hopeful, more loving, more courageous, more just, more wise, more patient. But in the, in the midst of that, you never really know if you've grown in those virtues until they're tested. You never really know um, what the truth is, um, what you've really done with them, until you come up against a time of trial. Paul here in, uh, in Acts chapter 17 is the passage that I've been reflecting on. And, and in this passage, he's on his second mission, missionary journey. So he's already gone through the Mediterranean, and he's made one lap, and now he's making a second lap of planting churches, evangelizing, spreading the gospel, um, beginning to establish the beginnings of the church, the beginnings of this Christian faith. And as he does this, he goes through Thessalonica, which um, is the capital of this, this part of Greece called Macedonia. And um, it's a port city, if you look on a map. Uh, Thessalonica is a port city, which means that you'd have boats that come in, and people get off, goods get off, military people get off. It's, it's this sort of capital place where everything crosses, and, and a lot of stuff is happening in this place called Thessalonica. There's a lot of money going on in Thessalonica. There's a lot of action in this place. And so as Paul pulls into the city of Thessalonica, he then goes to preach, what he discovers is that he's not that well-received. It's not that nobody believes him. Some of the people do believe him. He goes into the synagogue, which is what Paul always does. He goes to the place um, where he knows people know the scriptures. And from that place, he begins to speak. He begins to teach. He begins to demonstrate that Christ is the Messiah. Acts says that he, he goes there three on three Sabbaths. Now, we think that probably means that he's in town three to four weeks. And in those three to four weeks, Paul works and teaches, and some people come to believe, but, but the people who come to disbelieve, the people who come to say, yeah, I don't think you're teaching what we want you to be teaching, Paul, those people are really, really set against him. They're so set against him that they actually take the message, they take the news of what they hear in Paul and they take it to those who are in authority and they find a way to get Paul kicked out. And what they say about Paul is, is really interesting. The first thing that they say, um, this is in, in verse 6. So when they could not find them, meaning Paul and Silas, instead 
Paul and Silas have gotten, and they've kind of scooted. They've gotten out of town as soon as they see that things are getting stirred up. And so the people in Thessalonica, they pull Jason, who's this one who's come to believe the way that Paul has preached. It says that when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of these brothers before the authorities saying, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They have turned the world upside down. That they've taken everything as it was, everything as it was supposed to be, everything as it was meant to be, and they've just flipped it on its head so that everything that seemed like it was right is now wrong. Everything that seemed like it was wrong is now right. And what would you mean? The things that they've turned upside down are like that it's good to follow a crucified Savior. That God raises the dead. That death does not have the final and last word. that, That it's not worth pursuing a life of pleasure and power alone, but that in fact God calls us to a life of mercy and sacrifice. All those things, they've turned the world upside down, but they take this to mean revolution. The other thing they discover here in verse 7 is Jason has received them. They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. This is still the people talking to the local city authorities, saying that there is another king, Jesus. You see, they misunderstood or in purposely misconstrued, I'm not sure which, misconstrued the gospel message, which is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is the ultimate and final authority. And they took that truth that was being proclaimed by Paul and by Jason and those who have come to believe, they took that to be this revolutionary message against Caesar, which in that world was unforgivable. You could do a lot of things, and you could go way out on the edges in a lot of ways, but you could not challenge the authority, the centrality, the necessity of King Caesar. The people in Thessalonica, they didn't want to lose their privileged status with the emperor, and so you don't, if you're in that position, take lightly to somebody discounting Caesar's kingship. So hearing this, the Thessalonians get upset. (laughs) It's amazing here and hearing their testimony, it's amazing how in getting things wrong, the people who accuse Jason and Paul and Silas and the Christians in Thessalonica, they actually get it so right. They understand that this message about Jesus is turning the world upside down, that if you really take and believe and, and, and take into yourself the message of Jesus Christ, that nothing will be the same anymore. They understand that that to have Jesus as your king means that everything that you thought was the way that it was means that, that the current authorities are no longer your authorities. They're no longer the ones who determine your life. They're no longer the ones who determine who you are. Taking those messages on their own, I just wonder if we as Christians in 21st century America, have actually taken those deeply into ourselves. Do you really believe that that Jesus and the message about Jesus turns the world upside down? That it makes everything different? That everything that, that is the way that it is to operate out in the world is no longer the case if you believe what Scripture says about Jesus, if you believe what the church teaches about Jesus? 
That if you take that into yourself, that, that there was a crucified and a risen Savior, that, that the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament has been fulfilled, that, that he was killed by these Roman authorities, raised to life, that death no longer has the final word, that blessed are the poor, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the weak, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that if you really believe that, it turns everything upside down. Nothing will be the same for you again. You really believe and take that into yourself. You come to know that, that the world is going to be turned upside down. That's what I find so remarkable. Uh, some of the passages we've been reading in the New Testament these days is it feels like they were written for today. A day when everything that we're used to, most of what we're used to, <laughs> is taken away from us. A day when things aren't the way they used to be two, three months ago. When the world has been flipped upside down. When the stock market is not doing what we want the stock market to do. When Maybe our families are not what we want them to be. Maybe our own hearts we've discovered are not what we want them to be. The question here is not when, not if the world will be turned upside down, but rather when. Because it will be. Coronavirus won't be the last time that everything is different. And when things get turned upside down, the question is what will be revealed about you? What are you going to discover about yourself? What are you going to discover about your own heart? What, what new strength are you going to find or what new weakness will you be disappointed in? And then as we consider this, this question that they, are, that they have declared another king other than Caesar, it makes me wonder, are you ready for the current king to lose their place? Or is your life, is your faith, is your hope dependent on the current order? Is it dependent on the current king staying in place? And I don't just mean whose name is on, you know, the welcome mat at the White House. I mean the whole order. Because Jesus doesn't just say, I'm going to come to be president. He says, I am coming as Lord. I'm coming as king. In fact, I already am if you're able to see things truly. There is a truer king than the kings that you and I know in our world. And the question again is, what will be revealed about you? What, who have you hoped in? Who have you placed your trust in? Were they worthy of that trust? We can see that the leaders of Thessalonica, they've still got their trust in Caesar. They've still got their trust and their hope in the world being as it is. And so they miss it. And now Thessalonica is a city that you can go to in Greece, you can go visit it, and all you see there are relics of the past, of an old age, of an old 
order, of a people who tied themselves to that order that has not existed now for thousands of years. But the gospel that Paul brought to that place persists. It keeps going. We're reading about it. We're talking about it. We are living that message even right now. As the tensions kind of escalate, Paul and Silas have gotten out of town. And they go on to the next town down the line. We'll find them doing this. It's, it's an amazing act of boldness and courage that as they're chased by people who just want to see their end, they just continue, let's go to the next town. If we're driven out, that's no problem. We're just going to go to the next place and preach. And so they do. They go to this place called Berea. Um, it's a couple dozen, few dozen miles away from Thessalonica. Um, and the things that were said about the town of Berea, this is the only place in Scripture that we see it. Uh, but the things that were said about it were that it was a noble place. This is back in the ancient world. It was kind of off the main road, but it had this good reputation. And the Jews there in that town, they receive and they hear the message about Jesus. As Paul and Silas go and preach, they hear it, and it says they go home and they search the Scriptures. They take the news about Jesus and they compare it to what they already know to be true in the Old Testament. Paul has an argument to make. He says the Messiah was supposed to suffer and die and be raised. And guess what? Jesus suffered and died and was raised. We believe that he is the Messiah. And a lot of those Bereans, they believe. They become Christians. They become a part of the family of God because they're willing not only to believe, but they search the scriptures. They really believe deeply in their heart. They receive the word. And they really do, actually, what you and I should do. They receive the word with eagerness, it says. They daily examine the scripture, and then it says, therefore, Many of them believed. Meaning that, that their belief and their trust in Christ was not just out of this sort of emotionally, they were sort of caught up in this thing, although there is very real changes in them that I'm sure caused real emotion, but, but they also believed trusting in something more solid than simply their own feeling. And so Paul is rightly understood here to be rightly interpreting the Old Testament. And what is it that's so noble? What is it that's so good about what the Bereans do? They listen, they have open ears, and they have sharp minds. They're ready to hear something new. They're ready to process and receive new information. So many of us get to a point in our life where we just say, okay, that's fine, that's all I need to know. I've got all the information, I'm done, I'm shutting it down. But these Bereans are ready to receive new information, and then they don't just receive it blindly, but they compare it to something that they know to be true. I hope that we're so noble. I would hope that I would be so noble, that I would be willing to hear and to receive something new, and then not just receive it blindly, but to compare it to those things which I know to be true. To be able to take new information and bring it forward into the future. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's what we've had to do here over the last few weeks. We've had to take this thing that is, in some ways, eternal. This worship service that 
is not only going on here on earth, but when we read scripture, it's going on in heaven. And we've had to take this eternal thing that we're used to doing in person. And we've had to process it and take it and say, what is essential? What can we not lose? And how do we put that forward into the world? How do we put that forward in a way that people can actually receive now at this point? How do we take this thing that witnesses to who Jesus Christ is and maintain it in the midst of our current circumstance. COVID has, COVID-19, coronavirus, whatever, it's caused this total change in our perspective. I heard, just this morning, I heard somebody call it a turn inward. And I thought that's so good, it's so descriptive of who we are and where we are, where we've turned inward physically, right? A lot of us are not leaving our houses, we're not getting out to the gym, we're not going to work the same way we were, or we're not going to work at all. It's caused this turn inward physically, but it's also caused this turn inward kind of spiritually, where what had been hidden away is revealed under pressure. Where the thing that we thought maybe we could cover up is now made plain. To us, to those close to us. I think, and I've said before, our coping mechanisms are gone. The things that we used to do. I don't know what you used to do, but if you used to, you know, get out and and go visit some public space. If you used to go hide out in a coffee shop. If you used to go sit at a bar or in a brewery, if you used to go spend some time in a restaurant or find a way to sort of diffuse that stress, that pressure, all of that has been taken away from us. Oftentimes, our ability to diffuse the pressure in our families has been taken away. And I wonder, what what have you found What have you found out about yourself or those you live with? Has it been good? I hope so. I hope it's been good news to discover, oh, I actually have these strengths and these gifts. I have this ability to learn and discover something new about myself. I've I've been so impressed, probably those of you that are watching this, I've been so impressed with the way that you have learned the technology for this time of life. Many of you, that's not your strength. It's not something you love, and yet you've done it. And I'm just... I'm overwhelmed with with the gift that that is. For you to take the time and the effort to put that forward, to learn these things. And I'm going, man, you guys have technological skills I never thought you had. Maybe you've discovered that about yourself. Maybe you've discovered that your home is not quite as worshipful as you wished it was. And really, I think part of what we're discovering as the church is we have got to reclaim our houses. We've got to reclaim our homes as places of worship. As places not only that we just happen to gather and be intimate with one another as family, but as places that where God is, is welcomed and lifted up and his name is made glorious. He is, as some say, made famous in the world. Is your home a holy place? And if you're a leader in your home, what role do you have in in welcoming Christ into that place and lifting him up? 
as the Savior, as the King, as the one who turns the world upside down? Have you taken up that role in a new way during this time? Have you found new strength or virtue Godward, right? Vertically, faith, hope, and love. Have you found a desire to grow horizontally in the way you connect with your neighbors? Courage, justice, patience, and wisdom. That's one of the things I've found. I've found I wish I knew my neighbors a whole lot better. And I wish I had the guts to go talk to them. I wish that I had the opportunity now. I keep telling myself when this is all over, I'm going to go meet everybody. And maybe I will. I hope that I will. But to have the resources to go reach out and say, you know what, we are not who we're meant to be if we don't do this together. How can I preach the gospel to people if I don't know who they are? How can I demonstrate the love of Christ if I don't have any contact with people in which to actually demonstrate that love? Doing it waving as they drive by is not going to cut it. I need to be bold enough to know people on a deeper level. As I think about my desire to have our homes be holy, as I, I think about our desire to have our lives made whole, as I think about the desire to have virtues lifted up and growing like these mighty oaks among us as a congregation, I'm, I'm reminded of this old proverb, maybe you know it. It's almost a joke, right? What's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. What's the second best time to plant a tree? Today. Right? We can get so caught up in saying like, man, I wish that I had all of that stuff. I wish that things were better. I wish that I had done that a long time ago when we get caught up in our regret. But the truth is, is that that doesn't get us anything. Sitting around and looking at the ground and going, man, I wish there was a 20-year-old tree there doesn't get us where we want to be. Put a seed in the ground. Plant a tree today. Find a way to do something today that's going to bear fruit in 20 years, whether you're around in 20 years or not. Many of us here have been exposed in this time of trial. And our privacy in some ways is so public. But like I say, don't let that discourage you. Don't let that turn you off. Instead, endeavor to grow in virtue. Exercise patience as you interact with people on social media. Exercise justice in the way that you treat your neighbor, where you're looking for what is just and what is right, not simply what is expedient or easy. Exercise courage in the way that you reach out to somebody who is hurting. I know even... Now we're like, what, eight weeks into this thing? I know it can be hard to go, I haven't reached out to you this whole time. It feels awkward to go make that first step. I should have done it seven weeks ago. And yes, you should have, but the best, second best time to plant a tree is today. Make the call, buy the groceries, buy the gift card. Make that attempt to reach out to somebody who's hurting. Exercise wisdom in the way that you process the information that we're receiving. One of the ways I think the Christians can be a witness in this time is to not get caught up in the lunacy that's out there. 
to not get caught up, I've said it before, in believing that this world is so important that we've got to go shoot somebody over it. But also not get caught up in acting like this world is so unimportant that we're just going to do whatever we feel like. So many of us are, are struggling right now. I think we're struggling financially, we're struggling physically, but a lot of us are just struggling with this form of worship. I don't know, first couple weeks, honestly, I was sort of excited about this. It was kind of neat to have this new thing to learn how to do. But now, once I finally figured it out, <laughs> it's like the last couple weeks, I don't feel like I have anything left to learn, although I'm sure you'll tell me I do, and that's fine. But I'm tired of this. The novelty has worn off. And yet, now is the time when the novelty wears off. Now is the time that we build character. Now is the time that we follow the example of Christ who was willing to suffer even to the end, even when it was painful, even when it was boring. Even when we were just done, we still can follow that example of Christ. A lot of you may feel like you're treading water right now. Like you're treading water financially, work's not doing what it ought to do. You're treading water socially, you're not making the progress that maybe you wish that you could be making in your life. You're treading water spiritually, where you're not growing the way that you wish or should be growing. And I want you to know that at times like this, oftentimes, treading water is actually progress. When the world is pushing against you, for you to simply hold still where you are means, it means that you're working. It means that you're working hard. And you're not letting the current sweep you away. So be encouraged. Continue to tread water. And what we will find is that when we come out of this, and we will eventually come out of this, we won't be the same as we were three months ago. But we will be the people that we are becoming today. Right? We will be a people who have exercised virtue, who have practiced character, who have planted seeds, who have put things down to see that harvest come in the future. So if all you can do today is stay still, then stay still. Know that we love you. Know that we care about you. Know that we are praying for you. And we're looking forward to that day when we're back together again. If I don't know you, if I've never met you, and that's one of the things that's kind of exciting about this medium is that, who knows, maybe you're out there and I've never had a chance to connect. I hope that you'll find that you are planting the seeds that are going to enable you to connect either with us or with some other church in the future. You'll find that the seeds of faith that have been planted during this time of coronavirus grow into a harvest that shows up that Christ is going to bring, that's going to yield 60, 80, 100 fold. Friends, this is what sanctification is all about. This is what it is to be made holy, to be made like Christ, that we are made in his character when it's hard, that we're made in his character when it's boring, that we are just made into his character.
So would you continue to lean into the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ today? Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you for the ways that you have given us this life, that you have assured us of your grace, that you do not leave us. But every week, week after week, we come to this word, we come to this table knowing that we need your mercy, knowing that we need your sacrifice, knowing that we need your life. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit, and it is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, having forsaken their sins and believing in Christ for salvation, are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. And I know, friends, that this meal is an embodied meal. It's not one that we simply gaze at or look on, but it's one that we eat and drink. And Christ has meant it to be embodied, right? He did. He does. And yet, Christ also calls us to obedience. He calls us to obedience to our, those who are in temporal or sort of secular authority over us, but also to those who are in ecclesial or church authority over us. And our leadership has said that we're not to be meeting right now, and that is well and good and wise. And so my prayer is that you will come to this table as you can. We have provided for you, as, as this liturgy winds up, you'll see a prayer on the screen, a prayer for spiritual communion. It's a way of spiritually coming to the table, even though we can't do it physically, in the knowledge that Christ sees in response to our hearts. That we're not the first people in the history of the world to be separated physically or materially from the table. And we won't be the last. That God continues to pour his grace out on us. Not because these material things are unimportant, but because his love for us is so great that it overcomes even this distance. So I pray that you would come to this table faithfully in the knowledge and the hope and the trust of what God continues to do here. Holy God, we gather at this, your table, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. Would you say with me, Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. 
And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed for you, preserve you blameless under everlasting life. Receive this in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful.
Lord Jesus Christ, in gratitude for the many ways that you have poured out your life on our behalf, that you have called us into faith, that you have established your faith in us. We pray that those seeds that have been planted in us, those seeds that we have planted in ourselves and in the world around us, Lord, would soon grow forth into trees of oaks of righteousness, that we would just see your gifts and your mercies present in and through this church, in and through this city, in and through our own lives, Lord God, would you turn us over into that kind of faith, that hope that sees your spirit watering and bringing forth the life that we all long and hope for, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, a couple announcements. We actually started, uh, well, let's see, I'm recording this Saturday, so it will be tomorrow morning, but if you're watching this at 10.30 on Sunday, it's already passed. Um, we're doing Zoom Bible study. We're going to be going through First Peter, which is just this great book about what it is to live as a Christian in a difficult time. Um, and so we invite you to join us on Zoom. Those links will be in the newsletter that goes out. Uh, Ladies Bible Study is also starting back up, 9.30 on Tuesday mornings. That link will also be in the Bible Study or in the newsletter that goes out. Um, and actually, we're going to start youth group also this week at 7 o'clock um, well, at some time, we'll see, sometime on Wednesday. And so we hope that you will, uh, if what a, any of those sort of fit where you are in life, we hope that you'll join us. We just want to see people continue to grow in faith and discipleship during this time. So thank you. It's been so good to be you know, with you uh, today, and we hope that we'll find a way soon to be able to connect. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.